Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello there, Arizona Cardinals fans. Welcome in to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, your complete cards coverage. Uh, my name is Blake Murphy, at Blake Murphy 7 on Twitter. And uh, we're here to talk some Cardinals football. Uh, thank you for joining us um, on my other, <laughs> I guess you could say my other side of your uh, whatever device you're listening to is going to be my podcast co-host, John Venerable at Johnny Touchdown. Uh, John, the Cardinals are not doing well right now, but uh, before we get to that, how are you doing overall tonight? I'm doing, I'm doing better, Blake. I wouldn't probably be doing so hot had we recorded this. Uh, immediately following the game on Sunday, that being the Arizona Cardinal home loss, the seventh consecutive home loss to the Seattle Seahawks, Blake. But we've had a couple of days to decompress, and now it's uh, on to Cincinnati, Blake. But I'm doing okay. A quarter of the way through the season, if you can believe it, and the Cardinals exit the month of September for the second consecutive year winless, which is super frustrating, I'm sure, for everybody. Yeah, it's difficult for uh, a lot of fans. I, you know, we've posted and have seen a lot of reactions, and it's it's nothing different than what we expected last week, John. We both predicted a loss. It's still difficult to see when you have a a team that a lot of people came in very excited for. Had three of their four games they opened at home, and while we still consider Week One a moral victory, when you have three consecutive losses in a row, it makes it a lot more difficult to look back on that positively. Where you're like, "Gosh, if they just gotten the one win at that beginning game there, things would probably be viewed a lot differently now." Um, instead, you end up having the Cardinals falling uh, 27 to 10 to the Seattle Seahawks, uh, and uh, you also end up having a uh, a injury that takes place to Christian Kirk as well in the second to last snap of the game. Um, overall, the Cardinals have had uh, Zach Allen, who is uh, one of their players starting. He seemed to not even get the start today. Jonathan Bullard, their free agent pickup, was seemingly starting over him, which for some veterans that's good. In other cases, it can be kind of difficult. But overall, John, um, there wasn't that many I guess you could say there's some positives to take away in terms of the Cardinals made a bit of a late push and that you know, they weren't completely blown out overall, but for the most part, you just had special teams errors. You had issues on defense. The tight end again popped up. Uh, what were some of your thoughts, at least, on this game about where did it go wrong for the Arizona Cardinals? And is it fixable at this point four games through the season? 
Yeah, I thought the main culprit for this game, unlike the previous week against Carolina where we saw the ugly side of the Arizona Cardinal defense, I thought the offense let the team down. Um, This was an offense that has progressively, unfortunately for Cliff Kingsbury, gotten worse as the season has gone on uh, against a Seattle team that has been incredibly vulnerable defensively this year. Um, They had just gotten run over at home uh, by the New Orleans Saints and Teddy Bridgewater. And then they had to travel to Arizona, and the Cardinals, I thought, had a chance to stay competitive throughout the duration of this game. Uh, That wasn't to be. Um, They were unable to take many, if if any, deep shots down the field. Everything, for the most part, was underneath. Uh, I'm sure that was designed by Pete Carroll and his Seattle Seahawks defense, similar to what Ron Rivera threw at Kyler Murray the week before. Um, I think Kyler only averaged roughly like seven yards per pass. Um, and yeah, the offense just didn't provide enough consistent, steady drives that that converted to touchdowns. They only had one touchdown on the day for them to to stay competitive. They do not have the kind of defense that that is going to be able, and you know this by now, to shut people down. Um, they can play situational defense at times, and they can pay, play bend but don't break defense. And I actually thought the defense played pretty well after the shellacking that was the Carolina game. L- listen, the Cardinals gifted the Seattle Seahawks seven points with that uh, ridiculous Jadavian Clowney uh, pick six where he stabbed the ball in the air and, and took it to the house. And then they missed two field goals. Uh, those, you know, If that doesn't happen and you convert potentially, I know these are a lot of what ifs, but you convert potentially on one of those um, field goals instead and have it be a touchdown, the Cardinals are, are right in this thing till the end. And um, But I, I also think uh, Seattle got a little bit complacent, Blake. I think that they were playing very much to punt to punt in the second half. They felt completely control, in control of the game. And I don't think anything speaks to that more so than when the Cardinals cut it to 10. There were still roughly seven minutes left in the game, and Seattle went on that methodical, I think, 75-yard drive and yeah. really never gave the Cardinals another opportunity, realistically, to get back into this game. The Cardinals, to me, it it, it – it was an offensive breakdown again on Sunday, but what I will say is they are just not talented enough for when I, I really do believe for them to be able to win um, on, on any given Sunday, all three units, special teams, offense, and defense have to be clicking. If you go back to the Lions game in the second half, once the offense got going, the defense played well, and then the special teams were phenomenal, That that's when they stood their best chance. But then you cannot have – I'm talking specifically now the offense and the defense, if you ex- if you expect them to win. It's just not going to happen. They don't have the players. Um, and unfortunately for Kyler Murray, that, that task gets much more tougher now moving forward without probably his best receiver in Christian Kirk. I love Larry Fitzgerald, but I think we all agree that Christian Kirk was the player that we had targeted this year as the breakout star offensively. I penciled him in for 1,200 yards. I think he was roughly on pace for right around 1,000, but – that's probably the most frustrating part for me, Blake, is Kirk gets hurt um, with, with one minute remaining in the game in garbage time, and it just kind of speaks to, to where the Cardinals are at right now. Even when you want to be able to pull silver linings from this season, you need players like Kirk, second year, second round pick, to be an emerging player for you to build on moving forward. And you know, we sit here recording on a Tuesday night. We're, we're hoping to get more information tomorrow, that being Wednesday. But you know, I, I think we would both be surprised if it wasn't a, a critical injury that's not that's going to knock him out several weeks if not for the entire season I think that he would have tweeted something the team would have released something um, somewhat positive had it been able to be a positive spin on it we've heard about seemingly every injury around the league up until this point in, uh, minus Kirk 
And um, I just think we need to prepare ourselves for potentially an even more limited offensive unit, Blake. Yeah, I would agree. And especially when you look at, gosh, I sent that out today to look at the, uh, just looking and doing some research on the wide receivers. With Kirk out now, Demir Bird's only started about six games in his NFL career. He's a little bit of an older receiver, but you're still then talking about a first-time starter that's going to be happening with Andy Isabella. And then Keyshawn Johnson, of course, has only started through the previous four games. So, again, it's just it's going to be Fitz and a, a bunch of young guys, and that's part of the... Uh, the problem with the, with this team and how it's been built is when you are such a young team, have a lot of youth, um, when you've got a few star players, but then you're not able to fill in with a lot of good, uh, whether it's um, good skill players, good positional players. And, John, we talked about this through camp just from looking at the rest of the team. The overall starters were not bad at all on this team uh, on paper. The issue is that the team had very little depth, so you lose your right tackle in Marcus Gilbert. You lose your two cornerbacks in Patrick Peterson and Robert Alford. Um, even get down to the point where now you've lost a guy who you assumed was probably going to be a starting um, tight end in Michael Crabtree, and now you lose another guy in Christian Kirk. And yep. it just makes life incredibly difficult. Um, Cliff Kingsbury seems to be adapting somewhat the game plan. Uh, as you said, Kyler Murray, the last two weeks, it's looking at more of like about 4.0 yards per attempt, which is just a lot lower. They're running the ball a bit more. They're trying to get them into it looks like better situations. Um, but overall, the Cardinals are, and whether it's offensive line or not, Murray, he's gotten to the point where it's a little inconsistent with how he hang in the pocket. There's times where he's dropping his eyes. There's also times when he's missing guys he should hit. Uh, going back to the beginning of the game, looking at some of the red zone struggles, team goes on a good drive to open the, the rest of the uh, first part of the game. It's third and four mm-hmm. at the Seattle 26. Goes short right. It's a little bit high for Keyshawn Johnson. He just has not been that dominant outside guy that you've hoped Um As far as making the contested catches, they go for a slant route. It's a little bit high. Keyshawn doesn't haul it in. It's similar to the Ravens game. You saw a play that was designed for Keyshawn. Um, Didn't work. Demir Bird on the almost exact same play call catches it on a slant. He's got a little bit more release and separation. He was out this week. That was definitely something I think that was noted. Um, Trent Sherfield, um, later in the game, I believe, there was a passing play. We'll get to that on the the second one. But Trent Sherfield had a play where he was open. Murray sails it over his head on the vertical aspect it just has not seemed Mm -hmm. like the vertical throws have been there for kyler over the middle Uh, it's been much more that i've seen them to be able to be done to the sides and maybe some of that is you know getting the tight ends involved more max williams had a nice catch over the middle he seems to be that big bodied guy who can go up and get it but the biggest story that talked that told that that i think told everything john was the two missed field goals you had a new holder um, who came in at least for Andy Lee, who's out with a hip flexor. If you put those two field goals even on the board, you're talking about a 16 points that the Cardinals have to 20 at the half for Seattle. Still a ball game overall. You're still then talking about all the Cardinals would need if they did you know, score a touchdown, if they could go for the two-point conversion like they did in the fourth quarter. Uh, it would be 20-9 to nine at the half. You go into the fourth, you get a touchdown, get the two-point conversion, which has been seemingly automatic for the Cardinals so far this year. You're talking about a three-point game. All your defense needs to do is get one stop. You get a field goal to tie it or get a touchdown to go ahead. And the feeling I think that we had throughout the team was when Seattle went on that last drive, all they were really doing was just simply running the football, breaking tackles, um, just basically just putting their nose to the grindstone, running the Cardinals down at the end of the game when they're trying to get the ball back. 
you have two dumb penalties, one on Tremaine Brock, one on Chandler Jones. That was, you know, you can say it's ticky-tacky, and he was going to try to bat the ball down. Instead, that ends up connecting pretty close to Russ's head. Just one of those areas where it's like you it was not nearly an avoidable mistake as I think the Tremaine right. Brock was, obviously. And the other part that stood out to me from this game was just the play of DJ Swearinger. You see him get run over in pass plays. He's not covering as well. Um, and he ends up being released uh, as of, I believe, Monday morning. Cardinals are going to be rolling with the two Thompsons, Jalen Thompson and um, uh, I believe it's Don. Was it Dante Jaylen. Thompson? Jay, uh, yeah, Jalen Thompson. And I believe Deontay, it's Deontay. Yep. Deontay, yeah, Deontay Thompson. Mm-hmm. So now you're talking about, you know, if Zach Allen is out for a little bit, hopefully he'll be back. We haven't heard anything on his injury front as well. But you're talking about a rookie quarterback who's starting. A cornerback who's, instead of having to be the third or the slot corner on his team, is having to be the outside starter, right. drawing a lot of the number one guys. Um, granted, he did a decent job. There was one touchdown that was kind of on a couple of different guys to Will Disley. Um, Chandler Jones has to choose to cover the tight end or the running back in the flat. Uh, he's, you know, a pass rusher, not as much of a coverage guy. The outside receiver, and uh, I believe it was Mom. Oh, this is going to drive me a little bit crazy, at least for that one. I was about to say Dante Moncrief, but no. DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf. Yeah, same, same sound, different player, obviously. Uh, DK Metcalf draws two of the guys away. It's a well-designed play. It leaves you with a tight end basically by himself. Um, and Murphy's not able to get back over. But between him, you've got your first three guys are starting. Andy Isabella is going to be a starter now with Christian Kirk out. Uh, with Akeem Butler on IR for the year, you're still now putting in a fifth-round pick and another fifth-round pick. So you're talking about... You know, you're already four games into the season. You've got six guys right now, John, who are basically in starting, essentially, roles for the team. And that's the sign, at least overall, that things have not gone well in this offseason as far as being able to have strong veterans ahead of them. It shows that you're not where you are. But it does show at least an area of positivity of these guys are going to be in there getting reps. You're hoping that you had a excellent draft class to be able to build for the future. And now we'll get to see, is it going to be sink or swim for those two fifth-round safeties? Is it going to be you know, an area where we're talking about the Cardinals needing a wide receiver? Or is Andy Isabella going to be able to come in, be able to give the Cardinals a deep threat or big play um, element they've been lacking we got to see a little bit of that with a jet sweep that was uh, unfortunately called back but this is where we're at John and that makes this week five game against the Bengals all the more important I think because this is just going to be where it comes down to for a lot of the Cardinals and their team just to be able to give a, a little bit of a hint of life just to show fans that you know you're more improved from the team that you know lost four straight to begin the year last year and then now is potentially looking at losing five and starting with a worse start to this year than they had last year. What, what were some of your other takeaways that you saw from the game, John? Yeah, I, I think that f- from my perspective, Blake, I think the DJ Swearinger storyline is interesting. Um, and I think it just goes to show you that, you know, waiver claims are great, but they should not. And we talked about this on the podcast, I feel like, like two weeks ago, DJ right. Swearinger as a situational safety, as a kind of cherry on top player on a competitive defense already can contribute, maybe not now, but he once could, and he put up, you know, gaudy stats in Washington over a two year period. DJ Swearinger as your quote-unquote, you know, one of your premier players that you advertise on defense. I saw DJ Swearinger all over marketing campaigns for this team throughout the duration of the offseason, even into the season. It's all over the team Instagram page, and it seems like a really good guy. But 
he's not a premium player. Clearly, he's not even a, a capable starter at this point. He had I, perhaps his worst game of the season. He looked lost in coverage. You you mentioned the missed tackles in the open field. I think he had one that it could have prevented um, a third down conversion that would have given the ball back to Arizona late in the fourth quarter. So I, I think I didn't expect him to be mm-hmm. to get cut. I, I I called for. I said you need to move on from him, but I didn't expect it to. And I think it caught everybody off guard when they moved off of him. Um, so more dead cap money on on the books. Why not, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so. You get to play the two young guys now, Deontay and Jalen Thompson, both taken in the fifth round. Deontay was a fifth-round pick out of, out of the University of Alabama this year. A lot of people thought he could have gone some point late day two. And then Jalen Thompson was in the supplemental draft, same thing. A lot of people thought he'd, he'd been, um, had, had not had character concerns, quote-unquote, that he would have been uh, a potential third-round pick. The Cardinals are not in a position where they can say at any point on their roster that – uh, talented young players do not have a place here. They are starved for ch- talent up and down this roster. If you look at them outside of really quarterback and goodness, maybe maybe running back. You know, I like David. He's he's played better. Um, I did think he 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 ran decently well on Sunday, but outside of that, I mean, like they could use talent across the board, and that includes safety. It was always going to to be the plan to to have these two young young players step in at some point. But I think they thought, you know, DJ Swearinger is a good, solid veteran. We can get some good mileage out of him. We didn't have to give up anything. We just claimed him. We picked up a salary from Washington. And now it's you're very much leaning on these two young players because I can tell you right now, Buda Baker, he has been, to me, like one of the biggest disappointments for this team this year. When you talk about the lack of talent, lack of elite play on this franchise, you needed players like Buda Baker to step up and take that next level, right? Mm-hmm. Buda Baker was a second-round pick two years ago. This is his third season. He does not have an interception yet. That was his biggest bugaboo in college at the University of Washington. He had brick hands, but he was always in a position to make a play on a pass defense, was very physical in the run game. He, to me, looks lost in his role. I don't know if it's the third defensive scheme in three years, but get him back, play him with some confidence, maybe play him in the slot a little bit more, maybe play him outside. I don't know, but I, I just think well, that... Yeah, when, yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say... the did, center fielder yeah, role you've done. got him playing right now is just not... It's not helping. You need to play him more in the box, and then you let these two young safeties who were probably your most athletic corners, or excuse me, your most athletic defensive backs outside of Byron Murphy, mm-hmm. just run around and try to make plays. You're going to get burned. It's Mistakes are going to happen, Blake, but right. there's a good chance that they're going to make you know something good happen as well just based on their athleticism alone. If Nick Saban vouches for Deontay Thompson as a player, then that's good enough for me at this point. Yeah, and he's uh, someone who we could use a bit more physicality on the Cardinals. They brought Absolutely. in DJ Swearinger to be that big hitter over the middle. And then this is maybe one of the things that I know has been probably the most disappointing to Cardinals fans is the defense right now ranks, uh, if you look at all of the numbers across that, basically 29th or so in the NFL across the board from where they are. It's not the worst defense how it was. Um, we, the Cardinals weren't even the worst defense last year, but – they're still almost as bad against the run in terms of where their ranking is. They're not 32nd, but the pass defense has also gotten worse. They're probably about 23rd or so, I believe, in terms of against the pass. Last year, they were 12th overall at the end of the season. I think part of it, at least, is just the role that they've put some of these players in has not been, it's not been great. You look at 
DJ Swearinger, for example, who's supposed to be a big, hard-hitting type of safety, who's kind of being pushed into one-on-one coverage against tight ends. Jordan Hicks is the guy who's having to step up and do that when Hassan Reddick is the guy who's got more athleticism. So whether that's a case of just putting not putting guys in positions to succeed, I think that's a big question to ask. Um, I know when I watched the game in Week 1, the Cardinals looked much better when Buda Baker was the guy defending the rookie tight end in um, TJ Hawkinson than they did otherwise. Other There were times where he'd just run wide open. Usually it was when you had a linebacker or a safety mix-up. The second thing was, and this is some information I know that I was given at least earlier on the Broncos at least, um, our good friend Ben Albright, who's been on our podcast before, um, he's covered the Broncos, and he passed along and said that a lot of the stuff that you would probably be seeing would be um, – a bunch of what they called press man cover zero would be what they'd look for. You put your guys in press coverage. Sometimes you just bring the blitz for a lot of those. But a lot of times it would be a case of you don't blitz that much. You run four or five guys. Um, basically would be your overall type where you'd occasionally bring a fifth guy. You would play a lot of either press man or zone. And then he said that the biggest thing about it is that your free safety, whoever they are, is going to hate it because the free safety is going to be responsible for in any kind that there's, you know, a zone that's going to be moved out of, or if a guy is going to need to have coverage, you may need to help both guys like at once. And you're not going to be able to really make as many plays. That was one of the reasons he said the free safety is not going to be really put into as much of a position to truly roam around. They're going to be set in the role and have to make decisions. So I do wonder if part of the reason why we're not seeing an effective Buda Baker is, when we did see him with the Cardinals previously, he would be playing inside as a slot that allowed Tyron Matthew to roam free uh, when we saw his best play of his career in his 2017 role. I think that that's, uh, that's a case where the Cardinals are saying, hey, we've got plenty of corners playing in this different role now. Maybe you do at least have a guy like Byron Murphy when he moves back into that role. But it just feels like right now, because when the, and then when the Cardinals do bring, of course, that blitz, they do get, put their guys in one-on-one coverage. They'll usually overload one side or the other. And we've seen quite a few plays that have been made with those blitzes that have gone all out. There's some that have been well-timed where it's like, okay, it's a well-timed blitz. There's others where they've definitely been burned from it. We got to see that with a crucial play to Will Disley for first down. Russell Wilson's about to take a blow, makes a great throw just where his tight end can catch it. Um, and you just looked at it and was like, yeah, there was Jordan Hicks on the tight end. He had decent coverage overall, but it wasn't like it was locked tight or he had a chance to bat the ball away. Um, so maybe some of that blame does go on Vance Joseph, and I know a lot of people are like, well, this is the guy that Steve Keim brought in and hired to essentially be the defensive head coach. So I think what I've said, at least after the Panthers game, kind of stands um, right now, John, I feel like that Vance Joseph – we have to, in some level, accept that without Patrick Peterson, without Robert Alford, he can't do everything that he wants to do. That goes without saying. But that also means now the expectations when you've been giving up, you know, about 30 points or so a game is when Peterson comes back, and we're assuming still that Robert Alford comes back, you're going to want to see at least enough improvement, especially in the turnovers category, because this Cardinals team right now has no interceptions on the year. All they can really do is force sack fumbles and hope that they recover it. Uh, if they don't recover those sack fumbles, this game they had one, Russell Wilson recovers. They essentially aren't able to force fr- fumbles from the running backs, and you're kind of screwed in terms of if you turn the ball over as Kyler Murray did in this game, you put yourself and dig a hole around it that you're not able to dig yourself out of. This team is not good enough to dig itself out of the holes ever since that week one game, John. Yeah, and I, I get uncomfortable with the with the idea that Kyler Murray is really forced to play hero ball every week, and it's not it's mm-hmm. not really fair to him. I worry about what that's 
that, that could do to his development at some point because you kind of have to change your mindset if you feel like, and this was a little bit what he had to deal with at Oklahoma, but it was different because of the caliber of players he faced in the, in the Big 12 compared to the NFL. But he really felt like he had to score every possession. I mean, that Oklahoma defense was, was pretty terrible. The Cardinals not only feel like they have to score every possession, but they, they have to score touchdowns. I mean, we've seen them kick, you know, three or four field goals in a given game and, and they haven't come close to winning. So, I mean, outside of just trading score for score, which you felt like you had to do in against Carolina and then against Seattle, I, I just it's not a sustainable um, formula for success. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, when you lack now skilled players offensively, mm-hmm. you're going to ask Kyler even more so to throw players like Keyshawn Johnson and Demir Bird and Trent Sherfield, all who yeah. have trouble separating. You're going to ask Kyler to throw them open. You're going to, I mean, this is where I think Cliff Kingsbury is going to have to make his money. If you are oh, yeah. an offensive guru, if you, from a schematic standpoint, feel like you have an advantage over, you know, X defense, scheme some of these players open so that it's not all on Kyle, Kyler to play hero ball because he's, it's a combination of poor skill players and then a, a, a sieve of an offensive line that I thought did play relatively well on Sunday, all things considered. They gave up four sacks. I think two of those I counted were on Kyler. Uh, He should have just thrown the ball away. I'm sure they're working that. But uh, we also have to understand Kyler Murray played 14 games of college football as a starter um, Mm -hmm. at the University of Oklahoma. This is this is I mean, he's still learning really how to play the quarterback position um, and to to come into the league right away and ask him on average to throw 30 plus times a game, 40 plus times a game. I, I just. It, it, it may turn out to be fine for his development. I just don't like the strategy or the formula. That's why, you know, every chance that they can, they could have gotten to upgrade offensively, whether it be a receiver or offensive line or whatever I was for, even if it meant sacrificing a little bit defensively, because it meant that Kyler was going to get that much more help, which would aid his development. Because at the end of the day, I mean, goodness, yeah, you're, you're picking, you know, pieces here and there for the defense but it doesn't really matter i mean this this unit is going to struggle until it has a complete revamping on the defensive line and they add multiple capable bodies on the back seven the offense can be productive because we believe kyler murray is special but it's also unfair to ask him to take a historically bad team from a year ago relatively that's that's remained intact outside of the coaching staff outside of a rookie class and a couple free agents and, and ask him to elevate it to a level of consistent competition. I think that's asking a lot. And I love, I love Kyler Murray. I've loved what I've seen. Nothing that I've seen has wavered me on the idea that he's a franchise quarterback. Um, to what level, I don't know. But he's he's completing over sixty-two percent of his passes. Um, he's on pace for, I, I believe, still over four thousand yards on the season, right around the the um, Andrew Luck's forty-two hundred record for rookie passing yards. His touchdowns are down because he's got. He, they're having issues separating at receiver. He had his first rushing touchdown. I think part of the reason that you've seen an inclusion of the run game over the last couple of weeks is because I, a part of it, I, I do believe, is the increased amount of pressure that he's facing and he's getting a little gun shy and he's ready to take off. And there were multiple yeah. times in the Seattle game where he tried to turn the corner and against NFL capable defensive ends, especially super athletic ones like Seattle have, you just you can't turn the corner. This isn't Texas Tech. This isn't, you know, Baylor. So I, mm-hmm. I, I would love to see the Kyler return from the first two weeks of the season where he just stood in the pocket and threw darts down the field. I think that to, 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 to come away with a victory against Cincinnati, a team that's in a very similar position, 
they're going to need to come out guns a blazing, take shots down the field, challenge their defensive backs. The the margin for error with this team is so small because of the lack of talent. I don't mm-hmm. think you can consistently put together drives that are five yard out, five yard pass. You know, dink and dunk. I don't think you can dink your dunk your way to points with this offense because there's a good chance that somebody's going to get a holding penalty here, or you're going to have a drop by a receiver, or the protection's going to break down. But if you if you try to force the issue and get chunk plays like the first two weeks of the season and then clean up your red zone, I think you have a better chance uh, of succeeding down the line. But I don't th- this unit is not good enough to dink and dunk their way down the field because there there's too big of a chance that something is going to go wrong. Either Murray will be flushed out of the pocket. He'll throw an interception, whatever. But I just I think you have to take more down the field shots. It's easy for me to say I'm not in the film room. Uh, you know, I don't. You know, I don't run the, 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 the analytics on the team, but I, mm-hmm. I do believe that, that this is an area where they should look. They haven't thrown deep in two games. Yeah, what's crazy is that Kyler still had a decent yard per attempt overall as far as what you saw, but a lot of it came from the fact that the Cardinals uh, with David Johnson, they gave him only 11 handoffs at least in the run game. He's not averaging anything more really than about 3.6 yards per carry in the game. It's all probably about where he's at right now for the most part. A little bit of a short step from the Detroit game. He got that for 40 yards, but they involved him enough in the passing game where it seemed to at least manufacture some of those run and pass plays where he had nine, I believe, eight catches for 99 yards. So he almost had 100 yards in the game at about 12 yards per catch, and Cliff did a good job of being able to put him in spots where he had only one man who was there. He had a couple of big runs at least that he was able to Um, pull off of mostly of these short passing plays, but it's still an area that you're right, John, as far as that's where you're at with him. The player that was more impressive, honestly, in the run game was Chase Edmonds, who had a a draw handoff. He had a lot of good bursts, was able to kind of make one cut and go. Uh, He averaged about six or so yards per carry, and I think, honestly, that's where the Cardinals are right now is it's it's a far cry from where David Johnson was back during that crazy, you know, 2015 and 2016 seasons where, you know, you're looking at probably about four and a half, a little bit, maybe over four yards per attempt. And then as far as for catches, you're still, you still haven't seen that change, honestly, too much for David Johnson. He's getting about 11 or 12 yards back then. This game, you got about 12 yards or so now. So you're kind of seeing at least more of what the Cardinals are essentially lacking in terms of, um, in terms of being able to protect Kyler overall through a run game, you're still seeing at least be effective, but you're still talking about they gave up four sacks in the game. Now, even if you do account some of those for Murray, it's 20 sacks that the Cardinals have given up. He's third in the league, I believe, as far as with sacks that have been taken. He's only behind Kirk Cousins and Deshaun Watson. And part of that, of course, comes from guys who are holding the ball too long. And so, Cliff, there's a lot of times these short plays and these short passing yards are trying to work the teams that are doing it. And it's also partially taking what the defense gives you. Like the Panthers went out and put on a bit of a clinic to say, we're going to basically run cover four. We're not going to let teams get behind us. We're going to go ahead and trust our linebackers that are in front to basically beat your wide receivers, to beat your tight ends, to beat your running backs, or we're not going to let you get the first down. We'll rush you, stop the run, make sure that you're in pushed into third and long. And then we'll break up the pass or make sure we keep it in front of you. The Seahawks were able to pull off the same thing, John. They left Bobby Wagner, KJ Ray, and their other guys in. You had Christian Kirk lined up at times on a linebacker. And still the Cardinals were not able to, whether it was either buying Murray time, whether he wasn't pulling the trigger, 
Um, you just were not able to uh, be able to get a big play off of it for the most part. So whether that's by design of Cliff, whether they're being a bit gun-shy in how he's designing it, or if you're looking at this as just saying, like, the Cardinals right now, like, you've got two wide receivers who are probably guys who can win like that with Kirk and with Fitzgerald, and now you're probably down Christian Kirk, it looks like. So that's where I think it gets to be a bit um, disappointing if you're, if you're a fan. Now, what I do want to kind of shift the gears to a little bit is uh, a little bit more of the positivity because there were some positive things that we did get to see from the Cardinals here. You got to see David Johnson hit uh, back up to those typical 140 or so yardage totals, which was solid because it meant that the even if the line wasn't blocking as well, even if he didn't have the best burst, you're still being able to find ways to include him. And I think in terms of decision-making, while Kyler did have the pick that was thrown, maybe it'd be better to kind of pump fake if the guy's there and then wait for him to, to move and then wait for David Johnson to clear out. You did see times where he was just content to throw the ball away. He wasn't taking a... You know, huge sacks are trying to do it. There was one player that he tried to get the edge on the outside, and he was hunted down. Um, he just should have tossed the ball away there when the guy was close. He thought he could get the corner. There's a play in the end zone within week one. It was almost the identical play. Kyler leaves the pocket, sprints to his right, almost runs out of the back of the end zone. Instead of forcing the ball downfield where it might be into double coverage or picked off, he just outside the pocket, throws it away, lives to fight another down. That's a good step at least in terms of making some progress. And you also got to see when the fourth quarter started, um, it was disappointing that we didn't get to see Kyler get the ball back again because both times he got the ball in the fourth quarter, he quickly drove down right into Seahawk territory ready to score. And if they'd had a little bit more time left on the clock overall, if the Cardinals had managed to force a field goal for Seattle. And like, like we said, John, the, this was the game in which the defense, it was so disappointing because you still had a chance, even though you were down in that game throughout the entire thing, you saw Kyler rally the team together. It was a 20-10. to 10. They were able to get a uh, touchdown that they were able to score. You know, you're looking at those field goals miss going, ah, so close. If you're able to hold Seattle to a field goal there, and it's 23-10, to 10, you still have a chance to be able to get back down the field to the other side and then see if you can get an onside kick. This is the Seattle Seahawks. Crazy things have happened in these games. Uh, and instead, the defense doesn't even give Kyler a chance. He's able to get back in. It's kind of in a bit of garbage time. And now with Christian Kirk out, you're going to have to trust Andy Isabella to be able to step up, obviously, um, in, a, in a huge way and hope that Demir Bird is healthy. You've brought back Farrell Cooper as well. But, John, let's see. What were other positives that you took away from the Cardinals game? Someone said there's no positives. What were some of the positives that you took away, though? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with Chase Edmonds. I think he is warranted uh, additional carries. He is probably, at this point, more laterally quick than David Johnson. Um, he, on the season, has over five yards per, per attempt. Mm -hmm. I think the team would be wise to give him double-digit touches moving forward. The reason that they took him, Bruce Arians, uh, had targeted him in the fourth round a couple of years ago was he had the same kind of receiving skill set that David had. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not like you, you lose anything in the passing game when if you go to, to, to chase in certain situational packages. And I think they would be best served implementing two backs moving forward, especially with Kirk out. I, I think that that's uh, an area where they could force some some mismatches. Um, outside of that, I think Max Williams um, continues to impress. I think they need to, to find ways to scheme him open because he – he adds a physical presence that you don't really have in the receiving core outside of Larry. And he, he's the kind of big body player that, that people don't want to tackle. 
Um, right. And he was a second round pick for for the for the Ravens for a reason. I remember that draft specifically. Um, I think that was in 2015, so not too long ago. Came out of Minnesota, really kind of a blue collar kid, and it just never clicked from from an injury perspective with him. Um, but only well, he's only 25 years old, um, and so I'd love to be able to see. He's actually projected for career highs in receiving, if you can imagine it already this year. Um, but would love to see him get more incorporated into the offense um, moving forward. And then I thought Jonathan Bulliard um, starting uh, and replaces Zach Allen. Listen, I don't. I think we're all excited about the development of Zach Allen. Let's let's hope that he is healthy and, and can consistently give us snaps and, and reps this year. But to force him into the starting lineup as early as the Cardinals did, coming out of a small school, that being Boston College, um, not a traditional power. Um, I think they always viewed him as a rot- rotational player this year. And when Darius Philon got his um, axe from the team, he was kind of thrust in, into the starting lineup unfairly. Jonathan Bulliard is a uh, suitable replacement at this time opposite Rodney Gunter. Uh, Rodney Gunter, by the way, still hasn't done very much on the season. So the Cardinals are really lacking for an impact five technique right now. Um, Corey Peters has really been their only productive defensive lineman. So uh, I'm anxious to see what Jonathan can do moving forward. I'd love to see Michael Dogby um, be available. Uh, they just cut, cut Miles Brown, I believe, today. Um, and so maybe that's a sign they, they didn't bring on any new defensive linemen. So maybe that's a sign that seventh-round pick and, and preseason darling Michael Dogby will mm-hmm. be active. Um, and then last but not least, I thought Ryan Winslow punted fine in replacement of Andy Lee. I think he averaged yeah. roughly uh, 47 yards per attempt. Didn't embarrass himself. You know that you know while you're nursing Andy Lee back to health, this, this kid's not going to embarrass himself in, in the route that Amos Jones punters seemingly always <laughs> did. So there were a couple positives. And at the end of the day, like these these injuries are, are going to allow some other players to have a chance uh, to step up and have some opportunity. Andy Isabella looked good on special teams. He, he should be active every game moving forward. He's not going to get better being inactive. He was the 62nd overall pick for a reason. Mm-hmm. He was somebody that we were excited about when they took him. He needs to have considerable reps offensively. And, and see if his speed can make a difference. You can't, we hear it all the time, but you can't teach speed, and the Cardinals need to be able to stretch the field. And as much as I love Christian Kirk, he was having trouble separating. Yeah. The Shorter rest intermediate the, guy. Shorter yeah, the, intermediate the rest guy. of the receiving core does not have, nobody possesses what, what Isabel does from a, from a pure 40 standpoint. And so let's get him like we did. Let's get him touches, end arounds, reverses. Let's get him deep. Um, and let's see if he and he and Murray can connect because the sooner that you get him involved, I mean, goodness, they. What does it say if he can't get considerable reps and they're this thin at receiver? Yeah, um, that's that's an indictment. But I put it on both Kime and Kingsbury. Kingsbury wanted Andy Isabella. That wasn't mm-hmm. a pure Kime pick. Um, so Kingsbury needs to coach him up, make it work, and, and get some production out of him. So that that is really kind of the one of my biggest storylines heading into the Cincinnati game is. That's a vulnerable secondary, as you saw Monday night against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, you can stretch them deep. Let's see if we can get Isabella loose one-on-one on the outside. You know he's not going to see any kind of double coverage, and let's let Kyler fling it to him. So there, I think there are not necessarily a ton of positives, but we've got storylines to watch moving forward that hopefully could turn into some positives. Um, Farrell Cooper real quick if you hadn't heard had been brought back by the team was with briefly mm-hmm. Cincinnati was cut so he's back with the team now was with the team throughout the duration of camp no <laughs> share the all the things on their offense too yeah. that's like hilarious so, about and he, it and Farrell <laughs> does have legitimate speed as well so um 
again, I think this this game needs to look like the I believe it was the Minnesota preseason game where Kyler uh, went up and down yeah, the yeah, field yeah. Um, with a bunch of B level receivers. Fitzgerald didn't play. Kirk didn't play that much. And he looked really, really good. So yep. uh, the, the Cardinals need to be able to protect Murray enough for he to throw some 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 of these guys open um, because they need a win in the worst way, Blake. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I know there's been a lot of talk where people have been like either wondering about Isabella or asking, and he just hasn't been where they've wanted him to be, it seems like, whether that's by just having to learn, learning curve. I know that it very, very very <laughs> it's very hard for rookies to be able to adjust we were we can go back even to on the likes of david johnson during his year where he set a franchise record for rookie touchdowns and he was like i was still swimming man like that first year that i was playing it didn't be- become until year two that a lot of them became confident and isabella came out of umass and a small school and he's got guys who are much bigger and better corners that are being able to just kind of either keep up with him or put him at the line. So he's having to adjust his game in a whole new way. I think this is a good time to see if you're going to be able to step up or step out because, gosh, John, this is a uh, this is definitely – and I think that this is kind of where you could argue that some would say that maybe none of the games this year are a must-win for the Cardinals as far as expectations. I do think that the Panthers game, as far as being able to meet the closest expectations was about as close as you needed to. This is kind of a do or die because if the Cardinals lose to the Bengals, if they don't look good doing it, if the same things pop up and Andy Dalton goes down there with their tight ends and no wide receivers as able to kind of crank out like say a 17 to 10 victory or something like that. Then we're going to start shifting for our talk from, Hey, like, what is it the Cardinals? Should they look at a tackle, a receiver? We're going to start, like, questioning instead. Hey, like, are, are the Cardinals going to, like, be in line for the number two overall pick? Are we going to start having to ask, like, is it Chase Young or a trade down? Is it going to be a repeat of what we saw previously the year before in which you're looking at one of the worst teams in football? And to me, that is something that can't and shouldn't happen, John, if not just for the fact that you want to show significant improvement, but just for the sake of Kingsbury and Murray coming in with the confidence that you want to be able to keep in your team, I could see it being a case where a lot of the veterans would tune out or tune off. And even a guy like Patrick Peterson, there's going to be definite questions when he does come back. What what kind of a team is he going to come back to? So the Bengals yeah. game, I think, is key. Then you've got next week against a Falcons team that has looked really bad overall, but but still has weapons and what looks like to be a pretty decent offense. It's a bad and matchup for the Cardinals. It's a bad matchup we'll for the Cardinals. Yeah, it was a bad matchup. And then the week after, you've got a rookie quarterback in Daniel Jones who's been able to show some athleticism and honestly has kind of sparked a little bit of life into the Giants team that was really down. And uh, they don't have a great defense either, honestly, John. Like their pass rush has just been eh. Their secondary has been eh. They still have been able to keep teams limited at least just enough but they still were uh you know going into a multiple shootouts that you see like with the bucks the one week at least for the most part and then uh last week again it's going to be two rookies squaring off uh it's going to be on the road in an early east coast game cardinals have struggled with those i don't can't remember yes. even the last time they've beaten the giants it's been a while they, oh, i remember uh, they beat the giants on the road, in on the road yeah 2014 and 2017 i remember because that was the last home game with fitz where they put a zero on the board for the giants that was the year they finished with Saquon Barkley, but they haven't beat the Giants, I believe. Um, and they beat the Giants in New York in yep. 2014. In 2014 uh, Eli Manning got time. beat by um, our good friend Drew Stanton. That's right. Homer yep. was out. 
because it was uh, week two and that and, was the and played well yep. in the Meadowlands. Yeah, that was the last yep, time. So that they was the last time they won. So it's yeah. So it's been still like about five years or so at least for for one of us. And I, I don't remember if they've. I know they've had other East Coast games that they've done well in, but it's not going to be an easy matchup. The toughest thing to accept about the Cardinals right now for me, John, is we had hopes that this could be kind of a six and ten team. After they had, you know, lost, maybe you're talking about a seven, eight, and one type of level where you're like the Browns were a year ago. You look like you're ready to make the leap. They'll have to finish at 500. They'll have to go six and six right now in order to actually hit that mark. So, uh, what's at least good for them overall right now is there's a lot of other bad teams in the NFL too. A lot of about a third of the league has made a change or is down at quarterback. And you're talking about a lot of, like the this time last year, the Cardinals were the only team without a win on the schedule. This is week four. This year, there are six teams right now, including them, that do not have a win. So the entire league overall has gotten worse. So that's one thing that's good, at least as far as opportunity. You've got some of those teams that you're playing. Um, for example, right now, you are playing the Bengals this next week. But it still also does stand out when you're talking about how the league overall has taken a step back, but you've seemingly at least not stayed or taken a step forward um, as much as you'd want to uh, overall with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, I look at the rest of their their schedule, and it's, I mean, it's it's doable in the sense like I think they will get a victory at some point. I'm not sure they're going to beat Cincinnati this weekend, but I do think. Much like last year, that team was dead in the water and somehow went to, to Green Bay and, and won. So, and there are so many ebbs and flows throughout the duration yeah. of, the, of a season. There's a reason why only two teams have gone winless. Um, and I do think the Cardinals are going to get a boost when when Patrick Peterson comes back. And maybe that's the game following his return where you feel an emotional lift. Um, but really, the looking, I don't want to play week, week to week on the schedule but none of the teams remaining on the schedule are juggernauts. Frankly, the best team on their schedule remaining might be Cleveland in Week 15. You get them at home. But I, I think the division right now, um, sure, that game in Seattle is going to be difficult Week 16. But, I mean, the Cardinals showed you. Uh, they can they can play with Seattle for a little bit. It's not like they're going to get blown out like it was in uh, 2012. But, mm -hmm. you know, they've got Tampa. San Francisco, I think, is is a good team, a playoff team. But Jimmy Garoppolo, I, I would rather have Kyler Murray. And then New York, Teddy Bridgewater led Saints. Mason yeah, 12, Rudolph. 12 points, four field yeah. goals over the – now their defense did play exceptionally well. Yeah, now, absolutely. Now maybe it's a part of – and we've seen this kind of happen. We saw this with the Cardinals too with Drew Stanton. The defense and all the rest of the team always seems to step up a notch if their quarterback is out or if they know they're mm -hmm. coming back. But we also have seen that where then it turns into where there's cracks where it's only sustainable seemingly for so long because consistent quarterback play is hard to come by. And we saw it with the Cardinals. They lost the game in Seattle with Stanton. We saw them where they uh, – even though they had a winning record, with Arizona, it's very possible that they could end up going into the Superdome and have faced a Teddy Bridgewater with more film and more issues. That maybe you could, maybe that's your kind of shocker game that you end up making, John. You're, I think you're right about that. And then I also think you gotta you gotta remember too. And the more rookies you play, this isn't always true, depending on the, the level of talent. But we think that the, the the young players on this team have have a decent level of talent. Starting, of course, with the quarterback, but. I put this out on Twitter today. I thought DJ Humphreys played his best game of the season. Mm -hmm. Let's, I mean, like, I, I think he's improving. I don't think he's great by any means. But these young players, the Hassan Reddicks, the Humphreys, now you're talking about Kyler Murray's. You know, I hate what happened to Christian Kirk, but let's mm -hmm. see these some of these other young players play at receiver. The Thompson twins and the secondary. 
um, uh, Byron Murphy, you would think that they're going to be hitting their stride right around mid-season before maybe a rookie wall, but they're going to improve, you would think, over the course of the season. They're not. I don't think they're going to get worse. And they're going to have games where they ball out and they play well because they're talented. Um, and the Cardinals know that, and that's why they were taken as highly as they were. And the league agreed. The Cardinals got A's across the board for their draft uh, this past year, this past April. So I, I think health permitting, it's always a factor, and it is right now, and they're, they're dealing with some injuries. But I, I do think that they're going to, to have at least a couple wins before the end of the season. I just, I don't, I don't, they're too inconsistent for me, Blake, offensively. Yeah. I, I actually feel like I know what I'm getting every week with the defense. I feel like outside of that Carolina game, I think they're, they're going to get some stops. They're going to give up some big plays. They're not going to force a lot of turnovers, at least right now. And they're going to give up anywhere between 20 to 25 points um, and, and, and give up gaudy numbers to the opposing passer. Yeah. The Cardinals, unfortunately, offensively, have to match that every week to be able to be competitive. Yep. You you've got go no into, no uh, errors. You can't. You have to play mistake free yeah. football. They lost those two field goals against yep. Cincinnati, against Andy Dalton and the Bengals without J- John Ross, without AJ Green, and for for me to think that they have a chance to win, they have to put up thirty points. They have to they put have up to close play mistake free football at least for that one. Where either you hold them down, and I don't think you know. I don't trust the defense to be able to hold up very well for the most part no. because we. I mean, Andy Dalton went into went into yeah. Seattle and put up 400 plus yards, uh, albeit with John Ross, and and almost beat the Seahawks in Seattle. I mean, like if people are thinking that the Cardinals are going to, they're a they're a four point dog. I think last time I checked, three and a half point dog for a reason, because of the fact, Blake, that they've looked really poor, and everybody knows the state of this roster. Yep. And so I, I, I just I feel like and I get it, the Bengals have scored 20 points, 17, 17, three. But they've also played three of their first four at home and against yeah. those teams all have a winning record outside of the Steelers. They play the Niners, the Seahawks and the Bills. I think those are three playoff teams, in my yep. opinion. Mm-hmm. And then the, now they're going to play the Cardinals, who are right now in the toilet in the NFL. They're a toilet bowl team and they, they need to come out and play sound football for four quarters to have a chance they cannot start out slow on either side of the ball to be able to think that they can come back and win this game so Andy Dalton has 1100 yards passing this year he's got I think at one point in that first game he threw or for the first two two games of the season I know he had a clunker on Monday night I think he had almost a thousand yards in two games I mean Joe Mixon is a very capable player they they're they're very similar to the Cardinals, but they're playing at home. They, they have poor pass protection. Uh, they have a quarterback who's inconsistent, Murray, for different reasons. They're limited at receiver. Um, they have a, a running back that was picked you know, in the top three rounds. He's under, averaging under four yards a carry. They have a first-year offensive head coach. I mean, the, the, the similarities are pretty striking. Yep. I will say this, Blake. I, I do think the Cardinals, not to get into too much of a game preview already, but I do think the Cardinals have more talent on defense, specifically at pass rusher. And you mm. look at the state of the tackles for the Cincinnati oh, yeah. Bengals. I put this out online. I, I do think the Cardinals are going to have a distinct advantage with Suggs and Jones. And if you're able to put, apply consistent heat on Andy Dalton, who's been sacked only one less time than Kyler Murray, that being 19 on the season, mm-hmm. you have a chance because of his immobility to force some turnovers and to force some long passing yeah, his, situations. His arm has not looked good at all. Like the red rifle looks kind of like a bit more of a red pea shooter so far. Now, granted, yeah. I'm probably going to say that and he'll go off for like, you know, 400 passing yards or something I mean, despite having no wide receivers. Yeah. Uh, I, and, and I think at least that you're kind of hitting on a point, John, of 
and this is where I'll ask, is this a game that you feel like, let's say if the Cardinals lose this game, if it's a must win, what do you think as far as maybe not the fallout, because we know there's going to be obviously more fallout, but is there going to be long-term effects from this one game that stuff hinges on? Because I, I don't think I can really say that it's going to affect Murray or Cliff for one game. It's more of, I think, the perpetual over again and again spot where if you feel like you're the better team and somehow you end up losing it and blowing it, then I think you're going to start looking at it. Because right now, a lot of the stats are just showing, at least for the Cardinals, that because the Bengals are able to put up a lot more offense that they've been able to have for that one, and even though their defense hasn't been you know, great, it hasn't been as bad as the Cardinals' defense has been overall, they still look like one of the three worst teams in football. And if the Cardinals are going out and not able to do it, like uh, a lot of the stats I'm seeing are just showing the Cardinals are probably the only team that's ranked ahead of the Dolphins and a lot of the metrics right now. And that just shows, you know, I think the talent level of the team. So do you think of this, what's kind of your importance that you would put on this one specific game, John? Or is it something that, you know, if we come back and the Cardinals are starting out 0-5, it's still just going to have to kind of accept it and move on? Or are we going to need to like, you know, hit the big red panic button overall if they drop this game? No, I think it depends how they lose. I think everybody ridiculed the Bengals Monday night. That was one of the worst performances we've seen on a national stage uh, against a team that was in disarray like the Steelers in, in some time. If the Cardinals come out and let's say Kyler Murray is exceptional and they eclipse 30 points and he throws for four touchdowns, mm-hmm. he accumulates, let's say, like 400 yards from scrimmage, and they lose 35-30, people are going to be pissed, but they're not going to be in dire straits to – make a change oh, of yeah. any significant magnitude well, they're going to well, be talking well, about. Well, well, I will say this, John. If they lose 35-30 like that and Kyler threw for 400, Vance Joseph is going to be really, really right. on the and hot that's, seat, And that's obviously. fair, but that, I mean, that we're, we're, uh, we're, we're at the point now where I don't think they're going to make a, a significant change until they see him with oh, Patrick yeah. Peterson back yeah, there. You, you can't but, even. He hired all of the defensive staff, right. too. Like, there's nothing else that you have left. You can't I let think him it's go. It's very much how, how they lose this game if they lose this game. If they lose this game, and it's it's similar to Sunday's game, where the where the Bengals control the line of scrimmage for four quarters, the Cardinals for the how many the fifth consecutive game. This is already game number five. Have a slow start offensively. Um, do not put up twenty plus points. Mm-hmm. Have turnovers. I mean, if they look completely dejected and uninterested and disorganized, I think that we're going to see a lot more heat on Steve Kime yep. and some kind of sense of urgency will be placed. I could absolutely see a scenario in which one of two things happens after uh, an embarrassing loss to Cincinnati. I think mm-hmm. that you could see um, Steve Kime potentially being parted ways with, with the franchise or resigning, mm-hmm. or I could see a scenario in which it is the opposite direction, which is counterproductive, but knowing Michael Bidwell, I think all bets mm-hmm. are off where he's allowed to make a reactionary move on uh, either selling pieces or buying pieces for the duration of the season. Gosh, that and would just, that wouldn't make sense at all. But it just, no, it, you're I, right that it might it might be an area though. of it's like we yeah, gotta we gotta help our team. You fix we this do... thing or you're gone. And then Steve is like, well, I gotta go and fix this. It's like it's like a it's mm-hmm. a, it's like the gambler who's at the blackjack table losing chips for that one. And so you decide to go all in. And it's like you shouldn't be yep. going all in, but you don't want to do that. And so yep. that's I, I agree with you. That's a that's a concern. Um, that's the end. This right now is the end of part one of our. Uh, 
kind of two parts. We're dropping them both together. So if you want to either keep listening or go ahead and check out the next portion of our show, uh, we'll be talking all about Steve Keim. With that, we'll get into some of the reactions there as well as looking at uh, just some of the future of the Cardinals team of well that we're four games in. What are some of the ways that they can build, at least for the most part? A lot of times it... When you're in a situation like this, the off season can't get here soon enough. So thanks for tuning in. Um, we'll stick around here for part two.